Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. Pearl Lamb has an enviable depth of smarts about the world around her. The entrepreneur and creative is co-founder of a number of businesses and projects, from popular food brand Dickie's Dumps, to Vancouver Guide District Local, to community event series Sambo Worldwide. She was born in Hong Kong, the youngest of two daughters. Her family immigrated to Canada when she was three and was encouraged by her parents to quickly assimilate into North American culture. A shy child, she spent much of her time alone in creating, whether it was drawing, making art, or spending hours at the library reading solo. Despite her natural introvertedness, her love of writing, production, curiosity, and having fun eventually overrode this, and Pearl found herself working as a publicist and also living in New York for a time. In this conversation, we examine her childhood and the push and pull of straddling two cultures, her desire to reconnect with her roots in her adult years, what her chapter in New York brought to her life, the genesis story of Dickie's Dumps and what it's like working with your life partner, an accident that changed her world, and more. Please enjoy this conversation with the street smart, layers deep soul, Pearl Lamb. Pearl Lamb. Hello, Maymay. Hello. Welcome to The Craft. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm excited to be here. Me too. Me too. I'm excited for people to get to know you and to hear more of your story. All of them good things. Mm. <laughs> but let's first connect the dots on how we met. Okay. So this was a long time ago. Probably 10, 11 years ago. I was still in editorial. I was still writing. And you were in, you were in PR and you were working at Granville Entertainment. That's right. And so I get press releases from you, invites to events and parties. Yeah. And um, we were laughing because last week our mutual friend Sophia Chang posted an old uh, picture of you and her from my society column, what a from my social column, society, <laughs> social column from way back in the day. And I had uh, taken a photo of you too. What a lovely memory, oh, right? which we probably don't really remember, <laughs> but it's, it's nice to, to see that yes. throwback. Yes. And then the reconnection came about five years ago. Yeah. Five or five six years, years ago. ago. You started dating one of my best guy friends, Dixon Lee, mm -hmm. and we reconnected became fast friends so mm -hmm. we we always laugh that I see you more than I see him yeah we spend yeah. a lot of one-on-one -on -one time together we and do. it's been really really nice knowing you yeah and I think that you know in these times we spend together we have these really deep conversations so mm -hmm. it's nice to to do this recorded an official one so official right now so official <laughs> you look the part you look I know I've got I've got my <laughs> my headphones on Pearl's going sans, she's going au natural, but you know, whatever floats anyone's boat, they yeah, can do in the exactly. studio. <laughs> so let's, um, let's chat about, you know, well, I met you in the Grandful Entertainment Times and, you know, you're always, you've always been creative. You've always been in some sort of storytelling and communication, being, you know, a maker. Um, and you're currently doing a lot of different things and fun events and projects, were you always like this as a kid? Uh, I'd have to say yes, definitely. Um, growing up, we really didn't have that much. But as a quiet and artsy child, I think I was just perfectly comfortable um, making and creating with whatever was on hand. Um, so a lot of like drawing and making art and a lot of reading library books. Yeah. And I even have some memories of setting up little Kool-Aid stands on the front uh, front lawn with the neighborhood kids. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, I mean, so many places to go from here because I know you shared with me before that you would spend a lot of time alone in the library and just reading tons and tons of, of books there. I Solo. think I read the children's section more than once yeah. because my mom would just kind of drop me off there literally um, when she went for her grocery runs. And 
the library became my babysitter for mm. many, many hours. I would just be happily sitting there on the ground reading all the books. Mm. Yeah, nice little escape into different worlds. Yeah, I love fiction. I love just, yeah, just kind of, you know, there's just unlimited uh, worlds that open up when you mm-hmm. have a love for reading. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I, I was very similar as a as a child and um, in the house I grew up during my preteen to teen years it was a long rancher and so at the the end of it there was this room and it was the library room like it had a big bookshelf and it had tons of books so babysitters club um, the saddle club which I I think I told you about I it was this book about these equestrian girls and I was deathly afraid of horses in real life back then oh. so it was so interesting that I was drawn to this this book series but again it's you know if you talk about escapism or fantasy it's it's you just can because it's just another world to find yourself yeah, in without possi- being in the, it the possibilities are endless when you're just you just jump into yeah. those worlds that the writers have created yeah yeah and you're also you clearly are and have been a hustler, an <laughs> entrepreneur. Come buy my Kool Aid. Yeah, kids. come buy my Kool Aid. <laughs> also, your art. You said you were also trying to sell your art. Yes, so funny. The Kool Aid was definitely a younger memory, and then I think when I was in maybe fourth grade, yeah, um, my best friend and I at the time would just draw tons and tons of pictures, and we tried to sell them as posters. Mm. Don't know if anyone actually bought them, <laughs> but you know, I felt really proud of my little shop yeah of course (laughs) and I'm so curious I always want to know like how much kids were selling their lemonade for or kool-aid was it like 50 cents I think it was a quarter wow okay yeah cup I think it was a quarter how about your art I'm pretty sure I priced them at a dollar yeah (laughs) (laughs) which probably seems like a ton of money to a kid (laughs) Oh, oh, well, so entrepreneur, you're probably very organized even as a child, too. So, yeah, like to an obsessive level. Mm. Uh, I don't know that many kids who enjoy organizing and rearranging their room mm. um, as a kid for fun. But that's something I did. Yeah. And, and you were it, saying, too, that your Barbies, you had particular. Oh, my like, God. Yeah, I think I. I really enjoyed more of the organizing part than actually playing with my toys because mm. um, I was gifted these two Barbies um, and I spent most of my time just organizing their wardrobe, <laughs> like reusing candy tins. You remember the garbage um, yes, pails? Yeah, yes. so I would reuse those trash cans and put all their accessories in it. So like shoes would go into one. Oh, that's so smart. You know, and like yes. accessories would go into another. <laughs> Well, it's a great way to tell your parents, like, no, you need to get me that garbage pail candy because I really need the I needed to the pail to organize my toys. <gasps> uh, and so, you know, we were talking about, you know, your entrepreneurship as a young a youngin, um, you know, you doing creating art, um, you know, and I, I know I've said this to you before too, but you're a very talented writer and. I love getting my birthday cards from you oh, because you. they're just so beautifully written, Aww. but they also have this smart humor that gives it such the beautiful prose, such levity. Um, so yeah, I just I I really love what's re- reading, what's inside those cards. Oh, I'm glad you appreciate them. Um, I feel like when I'm writing on paper, that's when I can be my truest self and really express myself genuinely. Mm. Um, because I'm definitely more of a writer than a speaker. So what comes out across a, a page is is the real me. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I do find a lot of people in my life who are and have been um, avid readers from a young age, they also tend to be very, very good with the written word. I think that makes sense. It goes hand in hand if you spend a lot of time loving reading and and just enjoying how prose and you know dialogue comes out, uh, it really can help with your writing. Yeah, for sure. I guess you, as a reader, you're obviously reading a ton of words. Yep. But you're also, you know, interacting with a lot of engaging with all kinds of different sentence structure, and I guess you eventually craft your own way. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to go even further back into your childhood. Sure. You were born in Hong Kong, and your family immigrated here when you were three. That's right. Um, so, yeah, it was just my parents, myself, and my older sister, who was eight. Um, and I think because she was already a little bit older in grade school, um, my father made the very conscious decision, decision to only speak English with us. And that's probably to benefit his own learning as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was in, an interesting thing to just grow up with English only in the household. Yeah. yeah. And there were still elements of, of Chinese culture too, right? Like oh, the definitely. food and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom still cooked. Like we shopped in Chinatown for Chinese yeah. groceries and we definitely ate Chinese meals. Mm-hmm. But really, we're encouraged to, to try to fit into the North American culture as quickly as possible. I think so. I think my father's concern was that we, he didn't want us to fall behind, right? So the easiest way to do that was just, you know, push us in, like throw us mm. in the water, just speak English. You right. can, you got this. Yeah. 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 Yes, for sure. And you and I have spoken about this before, but uh, I was born in the Philippines mm-hmm. and my mother and I came over to North America, first California, when I was 10 months old. Mm. But Tagalog was actually my first language, not English. And so I quickly learned it once I got to preschool. But when I got to preschool, my mother had to teach my teachers certain words in Tagalog so that they would know when I was upset or if I needed to go to the bathroom. And, uh, you know, you know, close people in my life know this, but, um, my mother was married to a Persian man for 14 years. Mm-hmm. So I also grew up in a very Persian household. Hmm. And, uh, you know, in, and at that time, didn't the Filipino culture wasn't really welcomed by my stepfather back then. Um, but uh, so very Persian. And so I was surrounded in Farsi quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so both Tagalog and Farsi feel like warm blankets because... I grew up surrounded by, you know, both at some some point in my young, young life. Um, but I couldn't fluently speak either. So, you know, other than being able to say, how are you in Persian, and counting to 10, uh, I couldn't really speak it fluently. Um, and I did ask my family at some point when I was an adult, you know, I'd love to learn Tagalog again. Can you speak to me? in the language and the answer was no English is easier Mm. so you know it just it would be nice to speak a second or third language especially when it was innate at one point yeah and actually I've provided that as my um, answer to the question what if you could have any superpower what Mm. would it be I've actually said that as my answer like I would want to be able to speak every single language yeah because how nice would that be to really be able to understand and communicate with everyone? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, with other languages, too, there are phrases that you can't even translate into English. Yes. I f- actually find that now that I have picked up more more Cantonese, um, there are certain phrases for a lot of things, uh, whether it's like food-related or just life-related, that is so... Nuanced in just like two words, mm. you cannot find the equivalent in English. Yes. Yeah. 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 You, you can't. And I, one of my favorite authors is is a Japanese one. Um, he's he's a, so you would call him postmodern, uh, Haruki Murakami. Yeah. And I have a number of his books, and they're they're often, the ones I read are translated from the Japanese version. Right. So I often wonder what the original story is and what I'm missing. Yeah, even when we watch um, foreign films, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you try to watch it in the original language. I know you enjoy it in the yeah. original language, but the the subtitles, you, you might be missing mm. a lot of the, the nuances. Right, yeah. right. Lots of nuances in language for sure. Mm-hmm. So was it hard to adjust as immigrants? I imagine for my parents, it must have been. I think it probably takes a certain 
level of resiliency and to be brave to immigrate to a brand new country where you don't speak the language really. Um, and we had zero family here and no social network for my parents. So I imagine that's pretty challenging. Mm. Um, for myself, I was pretty young. So I think for the most part, I adjusted quite easily. Yeah. Um, but of course, there's going to be those Asian immigrant kids struggles. And when you start to realize the differences. Yes. Right. Like bringing lunch to school. Mm-hmm. When you start to notice your your lunch is uh, smelly to the other kids. Quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Why does it smell like that? What What are you eating? Mm-hmm. A lot of scrunched noses. Mm-hmm. Your like, way. That looks gross. Yeah. Like what is that? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you, you feel like very self conscious yeah. about your lunch, but yeah. So there's definitely that that struggle of straddling. Like okay, this. I have to adapt to Western culture, but my home life is a little different. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you you were telling me that you had an experience when you were in your in the third grade, yeah, where a classmate asked you whether you were Christian or Jewish. Yeah, isn't that so funny? So that was in Toronto when my family had lived in Toronto, and I think the school I went to was in a very Jewish neighborhood. So there was a lot of like asking, oh, are you Jewish or are you Christian? And I was really confused by this question because I didn't think either of those answers applied to me. But also I was shy. I didn't want to stick out. Um, I just wanted to be like all the others. So I did meekly say, I don't know, not sure. Um, And then he asked, well, do you celebrate Christmas or do you celebrate Hanukkah? Um, so having heard of Christmas, at least, like n- knowing the stories of Santa Claus and and presents under the tree, um, I picked that as my answer. I said, well, I guess I celebrate Christmas. And so he told me that meant I was Christian. Mm. And did you grow up religious? no. Mm. My father was very much atheist, and he told me right from the get-go that there's no such thing as God, no such thing as Santa Claus. He only believed in very concrete, you know, what you see in front of you with your own eyes. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in high school, you began to make more friends with recent immigrants. Yeah, I think... Because in the earlier years of elementary, um, I was surrounded by mostly white kids. Um, All my friends were white. Um, We didn't have a chance to talk about our culture because it was completely not even a thought for anyone, right? So in Mm -hmm. school, yes, we were taught about Christmas. We were taught about all these different things and celebrating different holidays, but it was never... Chinese related Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't until high school when there were more there was another influx of uh, Hong Kong immigrants um, and they were more um, they were more like immersed in uh, Chinese culture Mm -hmm. because they came over at a later time Um, and that was really when I started to rediscover oh we turned our back on this whole other culture and there's so much to learn in that world. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I guess that is where the reconnection began. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I'd love to put a pin on the idea of, of reconnecting back to your roots and your culture because I know it ties into so many of the things that you're doing, doing right. now. Um, so yeah, let's put a, a, a pin on that for sure. Um, and I imagine you're parents must have been very resilient and strong and brave in their own ways having to come here and restart I think so because they were in their 30s at the time so I try to put myself in their shoes Um, that's that's a scary thing to do to leave your whole family and friends like your whole network behind move across the world, um, you know, learn a brand new language uh, and have to start basically from scratch again. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. That's, yeah. you know, I don't think, I don't know if I could do that. Yes. It's scary. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, trying to find your way and your identity in a, in a new place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, speaking of having to, to do that, um, you know, we often talk about our love for, for big cities New York, Toronto, Tokyo, everywhere in between. And you spent a lot of time there, actually. You lived there for for a bit. So you also had to transplant yourself into a new place and, and find your way. What do you love so much about New York? Because we talk about this often. Yeah, I think the easy answer is what's not to love about New York. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel. I mean, the food, the culture, the events, the fashion, shopping. Um, there's just always a million things to see and do there. And it just feels like there's constant life moving full speed ahead yeah. everywhere around you. Yeah, it's almost like life there is always a choose your own adventure. That's how I feel like when I'm in Tokyo. Mm, that's true. It's like, what what will today turn out to be? Yeah. You know, and there's just like this energy. Everyone kind of is is very expressive in their their own ways. In yeah, these places. it's very colorful, right? Colorful. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you just, I feel so alive because there is so much energy. Yeah. I just feel like I'm buzzing as yes. a person. But there's also an element of like privacy and anonymity because there's so many people. That's right. I mean, I think I also really enjoy that aspect of big cities because you can just get lost in the crowd and just really be swallowed up by all of it, like all the big buildings and just everything that's happening around you. Yeah, yeah. There's that anonymity, but also in a big city, there is this kind of magical way that people connect and interact a lot more often. So, you know, one one memory that I often think of um, when I think of New York or New York in particular, because it happened in New York. But I had gone out to dinner with a friend of mine, um, Tim, and he was a he's a he was a fashion writer, and he had taken me to a restaurant in Hell's Kitchen, and the only place we could sit was up at the at the bar, and so you know you're sitting up at the the bar, and there's you know people you know pretty closely you know next to you, and I remember saying to him, "Oh, I really want to try that bruschetta appetizer." And um, the guy who was sitting to my left heard me and piped up and said, oh, he's like, you want to try that? He's like, I, I actually ordered that, but I ordered too much food. So do you want to have it? Do you want to have mine? Mm-hmm. And I was like, seriously? Mm-hmm. It's like this would never happen in, in Vancouver. And, you know, true to his word, he gave me his dish when it arrived we had a chat for maybe 20 to 30 minutes mm-hmm. and we went on our merry way after that. He didn't want anything more from me other than to share that moment and and really just give that gift of gift. It really was a gift, actually. Those are exactly the moments that I really cherish about New York. It's just like anything can happen. Like all those little exchanges, however quick it is. Um, or however long it is, it's just so special. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And we often talk to you about life on the subways. And you call it... I call the subway the great equalizer yeah. because, you know, you know, in other cities, um, it's very much a driving, driving culture. Whereas in New York, everyone's just walking the same pavement, mm-hmm. riding the same subway, no matter like, who you are. Yeah. Um, and I think that really lends to that kind of uh, anything can happen at yeah. any moment and just really shared connection and yeah experience. And sometimes it's even a stage. Like sometimes people are in there dancing and performing. It's and the best. Yeah. It's really, really I cool. I love the subway dancers. <laughs> and Do also- you follow subway creatures? No. Oh, wait. Is this the one probably, that you showed me about the birds? <laughs> But Subway Creatures is just this amazing IG account where they just, you know, snapshot, like, the colorful characters. Yes. um, That ride the subway. Yes. 
And it's just so, it's so New York. Yeah. And yeah. who you can see, like you, you and I were chatting earlier and I was telling you one of my favorite meme photos is of Neil deGrasse Tyson and Bill Nye. Bill Nye, yeah. You know, two of the most famous scientists and astrophysicists in the entire world. And they're both on the subway. They're standing up. They're not sitting. And they're both like peering over Neil deGrasse Tyson's phone. I think it was like a Nokia. It was like a flip phone or something. Oh it wasn't even a smartphone. I love that. And, uh, and you know, they're just sharing a moment. And of course, on this meme photo, it says hashtag science. Yeah. But I just think it's awesome because yeah. they were just on the subway mm -hmm. sharing a moment with everyone else. Mm -hmm. Yet, I think they're that's so prolific. So, that encapsulates like the whole experience of New York. Yeah. 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 And two, you know, I find that people who love to travel in all forms, be abroad, or explore the unknown, have that affinity for adaptability. And you've had a lot of experiences and changes in your life that required that. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know if you knew this, but by the time I finished high school, I had transferred schools six times and moved homes eight. That's so a lot. That's a lot of change, and mm -hmm. but that's all I knew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's... It's interesting because, you know, for people who moved a lot, yeah, it just was the thing. Like change was constant, change and I do was the constant, yeah. yeah. And I do think that there is a res resilience and ability to kind of maybe roll with the, with the punches. But I do think, as you look back too, if you were someone who was super nomadic, um, and you're an adult reflecting, mm -hmm. there is that sense of like, oh man, I wish I was a little bit more rooted yeah I mean if Had I been. if I compare myself to you know like I know a lot of people who have lived in the same house their entire life you know um and their parents may still live there uh it's it's so fascinating to me because my life was completely not that right mm. um and so yeah there is a little bit of wistfulness of wondering you know sliding doors what that would have been like, how that would have changed um, how I became. Mm. Um, not having that sort of stability and mm -hmm. constant, you know? Mm -hmm. But again, on the flip side, it is so like beautiful to be able to adapt and be flexible to change because it is, it'll happen all your life. I think so. I think because, you know, again, as you get older and so many things you witness and go through so many different experiences, um, it's nice to be able to pivot when you need to because nothing is guaranteed. You can like plan all you want, but life can still throw you a huge curveball, right? And it often does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And speaking of change and adaptability, um, you had another change in your home and your family when you were 12. You went from being the baby to then being an older sister twice. That's right. Um, yeah, so it was like just the four of us here in Vancouver. And then suddenly I had two more sisters at the age of 12 and 16. So, yeah, that changed dynamics a lot for sure. Mm -hmm. And you were, I guess you had to to be kind of a second parent. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I love taking care of my younger sisters. And then I actually had to because my parents ended up getting divorced. Um, and then my older sister also moved away. So I was at home with a single mom and two sisters who were four and eight years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just babies. Mm -hmm. Are you guys close? I would say despite so. The gap, despite the gap. Yeah. It's obviously not like a household of like women. Now it, it, it would be. But um, growing up, because there was that gap, um, yeah, I, I definitely played the secondary parent role more. Um, but I'm always going to be protective and loyal to my, my siblings. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think we share that in common. We just have this like fierce uh, protective love for each yeah. other. Even though you guys have your own lives. Yeah. You're still really connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And did you actually act like a second parent or, you know, were you kind of a disciplinarian or were you just more protective? Uh, the only part that al always draws back to um, my love of organizing and being a little bit OCD is that I would try to 
encourage them that cleaning was fun. <laughs> I thought it was fun. So I remember, Do they enjoy it now? I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's just me. <laughs> I remember drawing little cute signs and putting them around the house. I'm so nerdy. Like it literally said, a happy home is a clean home. Oh my, you did not. <laughs> That's as bad as live, laugh, love. I know. How cheesy oh, of me. Man. <laughs> I still love you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, um, I'd love to explore how you got into the kind of work that you did. Um, you went to, I know that you went to UBC for a little, for, uh, you went to UBC as a university, but I'd love to talk about your foray into PR because you identify as a shy introvert, uh, and, but our paths crossed while you were working in PR, which is a very outward, extroverted type of work. How did someone with a more inward nature end up in PR? Yeah, I think it really all goes back to my love of writing and producing events um, is ultimately how that happened. Uh, I am very much an introvert, but my love of fun overrides <laughs> it. You love fun. I do love fun. Um, and to be honest, a lot of the work that goes into events, marketing, PR, is behind the scenes. So a lot of the heavy lifting is, um, it can be solo work, you know, the mm -hmm. writing of press releases, yeah. you know, crafting those experiences. Um, I think I'm naturally in my element there. Of course, yeah, because mm -hmm. PR is storytelling exactly. about a brand or a product. So yeah, yeah that's definitely ties into you know being a storyteller ever since you were young for sure being a storyteller and also I just want to create the best experience or product mm. um, as the end result yeah so I think my type a kind of like personality of perf like being a perfectionist really drives that for sure to you know yeah and you know there's when when you think of when someone would think about, about PR, it seems really glamorous. Right. <laughs> there is, and to your point, there is a lot of hard work um, in the PR industry because I didn't, I don't know if I told you this. I think I probably did. But after university, I uh, did an internship at Harrison and Schriftman's LA office. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I did. And, um, you know, I, it was my dream to land an in internship there. So uh, when I got it, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I'm going to work with fashion brands and I'll be in Hollywood and all, of all these things. Glam glamorous parties. Yes. And, mm -hmm. and yes, there were parties and events. Yeah. But you were working pretty hard. And yeah, there is a lot that goes behind the scenes that, that people don't realize it's actually not really that glamorous at all. It's really not that glamorous because you're always the first to arrive and the last to leave, <laughs> yes. right? Because yes. there's so much preparation and setup to make to make an event look seamless and run smoothly, it's so much work in behind mm -hmm. the behind the curtains. Yes, there's yeah. so much orchestration. Mm -hmm. Something will inevitably go wrong. Yeah, but I love it. It's yes. kind of like yes, I like to complain that it's a lot of work, but I think I secretly just love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, you get to plan everything, make sure it's all executed. All the details. Yeah. I mean, I look back at my time in PR with a smile now because yeah. it wasn't easy work, um, you know, at Harrison and Schriftman. But I did get a couple of pretty good celeb anecdotes because, Ooh. yeah. So I'll have to debrief you on that. But yeah, at least I could carry those with me. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. worth it then it worth, worth it totally worth, worth it all the hours of blood sweat and tears <laughs> yeah um I'd love to hear the genesis story of Dickie's Dumps which is the dumpling brand that you co-founded with Dixon uh in 2018 and it's it's exploded in popularity over the last few years how did the idea even come to be yeah, I think to talk about Dickie's Dumps, we have to first dial it back to District Local, which is a project that I run with my good friend Sylvia Tawasin. So she and I met through work, but discovered that we really enjoyed doing 
the same things, going to events, trying new food, um, supporting like grassroots local um, initiatives. So from that, we really just wanted to help share this with more people. Like, what are all the fun things happening? Who can we support? Um, so we created this platform and presence to do just that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so a few years back, we were inspired to create an art show for Chinese New Year called Get Lucky Art Show. Um, and in its second year, we invited Dixon to host the Dumpling Bar. Mm. And that's really where Dickie's Dumps was born. Right. Dickie's Dumps with your very special shape that is a sauce a catcher. sauce catcher. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's, so, it's so cool how that came to be, too, because it's um, Get Lucky Art Show mm -hmm. was happening at Fortune Sound Club, yep. which is the club of our dear friend Garrett Louie. Um, and he was also our first The Craft guest. Yes. And it's also in Chinatown. Yep. Yep. Not only that, it's um, right on the parade route for Chinese New Year. Mm -hmm. So that made it really fun. You know, yeah. like there's just so much going on right outside. And then people would just spill onto the streets and then come in and enjoy mm -hmm. the art and some dumplings. So it really felt like a, a great way to celebrate Chinese New Year. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely that community feel which mm -hmm. is is great and I love the lines on your on your Dickie's Dumps website rooted in tradition and guided by our appetites and also it, the site also says most of all we want to expand people's palates and prove that dumpling love is truly universal I love it there's so much inclusion in both those sentences mm, yeah I think it's genuinely how I feel Food is, you know, the gateway into other cultures. We all love eating. Mm -hmm. We need to eat and we enjoy dining, sharing a meal together. Yeah. And I think because dumplings are relatively easy to prepare and cook yes. at home. So it's a really non-intimidating way to experience um, like new flavors. Yeah. Yeah. And kids love them. Kids love them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean... And it's, it's interesting, too, because um, there's – dumplings appear in lots of different cultures. I can even think, like, Russia has their own kind of dumpling, too. Yeah. Someone actually shared um, with us this poster that an illustrator had created showing all the different types of dumplings across the, the Ooh, world. I'd love to see that. I thought that was so fascinating mm. that it's just something that exists in so many different cultures. Oh. Which culture, which culture surprised you as having a, a dumpling? Um, well, the one that I'm drawn to the most is the, the I believe, is the Russian pelmeni. Mm. I don't know if I'm pronouncing mm -hmm. it right, but it's very similar to our sauce catcher shape. Oh, but so they're, are they smaller? They're much smaller. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So cool. Dumplings across the world, they mm -hmm. really are universal. They're worldwide. They are. <laughs> Uh, I'm so curious in your business partnership, what is the yin and the yang between you and Dixon? Like, What is it like working with your life partner and what works well about it? It's been really great because uh, Dixon is such a personality <laughs> and uh, like connects with people so well um, that that's really what drives uh, the love for the brand and the dumplings. Yeah. Um, he's well, well loved. He's well loved. He's just a natural, you know, salesperson and like loves talking to people. So, um, and I'm the behind the scenes person, you know, I, I'm happy to be just driving the operations and uh, partnerships um, and really just using my love of writing to shape his vibe mm -hmm. into the story yeah and food is his love language i mean that's how 100%. he he loves cooking for others and he truly does show his love that way and also for just he's such a caring friend yeah, yeah. so uncle dicky uncle dicky uncle dad uncle dad always look at everyone do you remember when we recently went to pemberton mm -hmm. and uh he had blown up uh, a couple of air mattresses for 
Courtney and I to sleep yeah. on. And mine deflated in the middle of the night, like halfway. <laughs> I, it was not a comfortable sleep. And the next morning he was totally appalled and he was he blew up an even bigger air mattress for me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no, it's okay. Like I can just sleep on a sleep, sleeping bag on the floor. And he yeah. insisted. He's like, no. You have to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah it's just, but that's it's, just him. That's just him. He's just such a caring, natural caretaker. And he just wants to make sure everyone is comfortable, having yeah. a nice time, mm-hmm. well fed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Seen, heard, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I see you guys on a regular basis. And yeah. I can see it's a very easy partnership between the two of you, both, both business-wise and, and personally. What do you love and appreciate most about him? Yeah, I mean, many people love Dixon, and it's easy to see why. Um, But I think for me personally, being a high-strung and somewhat OCD person, uh, I just really appreciate, like, he's mellowed me out a lot. Mm. And I think that just comes from him being uh, super supportive and Mm -hmm. a constant. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I saw all of that, you know, just to, to segue into something really big that happened to you. A few years ago, you were in a really, really bad bicycle accident and that you were, you were really lucky to, to get out of, actually. Tell me about what happened there and the recovery process and, and how it changed you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the summer of 2019, we were just out for a casual afternoon bike ride, which we do, we were doing often. Um, And I got into a freak accident and uh, flew over my handlebars and face planted into concrete. Um, And it was very physically traumatizing. Um, I blacked out. I got a pretty bad concussion, broke my nose, broke a whole bunch of my teeth. Uh, and, you know, road rash everywhere, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did take a long time to heal. Yeah, you're really committed to your recovery process, too. I mean, like you said, you had road rash everywhere and you were making sure that you were putting on your, was it polysporin? Like just making sure that it, everything was dressed. You were taking like your your collagen. You were so, so diligent. And I thought you were such a champ through that entire recovery which ended up, I mean, uh, this is me speaking from the outside in, but I, I feel like you were so diligent about it that you recovered what at, at a pace that I thought was more quick. Mm. But also, I think it was part of your spirit, too, because you also didn't let the accident hold you back too much. You were still at, at the point where you could go out. You were going out, <sighs> even if you had road rash on your face. <laughs> you were still out having fun. I know. I know. And uh, to your point, a lot of random people did come up to me and commend me on my bravery for showing my broken face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but to me, it was just, no, I mean, life goes on. And I, I always joked, I don't have to see my scary looking face. You <laughs> guys have to see it. I still feel the same on the inside. So that's really how I approached it. And I think uh referring to the diligence in healing I just I didn't like feeling helpless I don't like feeling helpless and I don't um want to rely on a lot of people for too long so and that's all I could focus on because Mm. my body was so broken like I couldn't um eat food for probably three weeks um Mm -hmm. I was literally smoothies no, I, I was literally, I couldn't even use a straw because there was so much trauma in my mouth that I was squirting soup from a squirt bottle. Um, right. I into, remember that actually now that you remind me. The little yes. opening that I could open my swollen mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I really do have to say that you really were brave throughout that because, yeah, not only the diligence, but yeah, you just didn't let it hold you back and... And yeah, I think I think it's true. I, I don't think a lot of people would have handled handled it that way. But also, you know, you speak of how you've always just tried to figure out what to do next. Yeah, I think because of, you know, all that change that, you know, I had growing up, 
my brain just functions that way. It's always, okay, what is the next problem or challenge that life has served up mm-hmm. and I need to adapt to quickly? Yeah. So yeah. maybe that's why. Yeah. Um, and your community. Took it in stride. They rallied. I mean, that's the most important thing. The universe was just telling me in such a visceral way that you need to pause and appreciate and look around you and see how much love is actually in your life. Mm-hmm. And message received, yeah. universe, you know? Yeah. Were people coming out of, out of the woodworks that you hadn't you yeah. heard in, from in a while? Yeah, definitely. It's really beautiful. It is. It reminds, you know, in, in, in those moments when those things happen, you know, it's so nice to have that chance to recognize, like, you were part of that too. Like, you created that community and relationships along the way that they showed up for you when it meant a lot. This is true. I mean, it's on a regular day-to-day when you were all just busy in in the grind and, you know, doing a whole bunch of different things. Um, It's easy to lose sight of that. Mm. So, yeah, it's just moments like this where... You can really just sit back and and just practice gratitude. Right. Yeah. Gratitude and yeah, just revel in connection and revel relations. Revel in the love. Yeah. Big <laughs> warm hug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, speaking of you know connections and love and community, let's talk about Sanbo, which is another project that you're doing with our mutual friend Courtney Chu. Mm-hmm. who was also a guest on the pod. Where did that idea come from? So the word sanbo is a phrase in Cantonese that means leisurely walks. So families will often take uh, after dinner walks as a way to be like, dig- we call it like a digestive walk for mm-hmm. your health. Mm-hmm. Um but also, it's just a really nice way to actually spend quality time together as a family. Mm. And Cornelia and I just really enjoyed that concept. And from that, turned it into a bigger idea where we could gather friends and community and do something together, uh, constructive. Um, hopefully, you know, something that we can have a learning or sharing aspect. Um, while having lots of fun mm-hmm. and also contribute and give back to the community. Yeah. So your first and unfortunately last due to the pandemic mm-hmm. event was in February 2020 yes. at Strathcona Beer Company. It was really fun. Good. Just a gathering of really, really good people. Yeah, I think that's just really the intention. Um, yeah, unfortunately, our all our big grand ideas for the series that we wanted to have um, maybe, you know, six events a year or whatever it is that got all paused because of COVID. Um, But the spirit's still there. The love for doing this sharing is still there. So um, Courtney and I will definitely, you know, revive this and pick up where we left off as soon as it's safe to do so. Yeah, more events to come. Can't wait. But in the meantime, it's been pretty fun just as a friend family walking around neighborhoods with our hands behind our back very slowly (laughs) (laughs) after a meal right especially you know during the time where we couldn't really do anything or dine indoors um it was was a nice way for us to still connect yeah and spend time together it is very nice and is there anything new that we can know about with dickie's dumps or you know, if anyone is is only hearing about it for the first time, where can they where can they find it, buy it, eat it, <laughs> eat all the dumps? Um, we still do um, deliveries to homes, so you can go onto our website dickiesdumps.com and order them there, and then you get to see Dixon's lovable face. Yes, yes, in, in the flesh. Um, and also, you can order them through Legends Hall, which is a really terrific grocery delivery service so grab all your good essentials along with some dumplings Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh you can go to donnie group they are starting to put our dumplings on across all their menus oh that's cool yeah they're up uh 
At Sing Sing. Yes. On Maine. Yes. And a couple of other places, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you can find us around the city. Yeah, Dumpling Love. It's universal. Mm. <laughs> well, I just, I appreciate you being here. And oh, thank you for having Sharing me. your thoughts and your story. I just have um, two questions left for you. Sure. My second to last is, is, if there's something you can share about what you've learned about life, what would you say? Given everything that you've gone gone through and experienced. I like to remind myself uh, to keep seeing the world through the eyes of a child. Um, just to revive that feeling you have, you know, when you're young and not jaded by, you know, things in life. Um, to stay open and curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's I, I love that. And I think that there is something to that. I also find that children just live intuitively too. Yeah. Like they seem to intuitively know who they like and who they don't like or intuitively know without questioning what they just want to do next. Yes. And kind of to listen to that guiding voice that you know it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, logic. It just ends up taking over intuition sometimes. Mm-hmm. And also, it's okay to feel things. Mm, I love that. Yeah, and I guess with everything that's happened over the last year and a half, that's coming up a lot. Like, it's okay to feel things. It's okay not to be okay, which is part of the feeling things and not saying, oh, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Which we mm. end up doing a lot as we mm-hmm. try to adult, right? Right, yeah. And my final question, the question I ask every guest, with what you do, what is it that you hope to leave behind in the world? Um, I think the common thread in all the things that I love to do most is creating space and opportunity for more people to feel connected and share more stories. Mm. Safe spaces to do so. Exactly. I love that. Well, thank you for being a safe space for me always, just as Likewise. someone in, in my life. And I always appreciate every moment I get to spend with you. So thank you for coming in here and doing this officially. One of our deep conversations now officially recorded. Yeah. And I I hope to do this again and uh, have so much love for you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this podcast and creating this safe space for so many people. And know that you are well loved. (laughs) I I feel it. I feel it. I do. So um, thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes with Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening.